Mark. Um, we looked at Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, where Jesus got into the boat and headed over uh, the Sea of Galilee to the other side. Uh, and what they found on the other side, we looked at last week. The first thing we noticed really quickly is that we noticed that there was a man who obviously was without Jesus. And we noticed that there were some things about this man that we, uh, that we picked up on from Mark's account of this story is that he was a man with an unclean spirit. He scarred from chains and, and rocks that he had cut himself with. And every night and day he was tormented. In the hills you could hear him howling and screaming for relief. And if you had the courage enough to get close to him, you would hear these screamings and these, these voices. And what we decided and what we understood that in his current state, that he was a picture of the end result of where Satan wants to take us. And that we had to understand that what Jesus said in, in John chapter 10, verse 10, the first part of that verse is that the Satan, the evil one, comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And we have to think through that. That Satan has no good plans for us, period. And Satan has lied to this man that he's not worthy and he's not worth it. And he seeks to destroy us. And then we also see in this story the last part of John 10, 10 fulfilled where Satan has come to kill, still kill and destroy. Jesus says, John 10, 10, part B, but I have come to give you life to the full. And Jesus and this demon-possessed man belong in opposite realms, that the, the opposite purposes, they see opposite outcomes. One brings hope, the other brings despair. And Jesus came to restore the truth about who we are and who we can be in Christ. And what I found fascinating about this story is no matter how hard or powerful or strange or ugly or scary this man appeared, Jesus never backed up. While all the other disciples were probably getting in their boat, Jesus stepped forward and addressed the man. Now there's two responses that we see in that story in that those who were fearful of Christ sent him away. They said, just get out of here. But the man who had been healed and restored by Jesus wanted to go with him. And when you and I recognize the depth and length of Christ's work or restoration in our lives, we will want to go with him too. Now this morning, we continue in chapter 5 as we see Jesus and his disciples get back in the boat and go back to the other side. And what they find there are two separate incidents in these verses and uh, just a, an incredible, incredible uh, encounter with Jesus and a, and a few people here. The title of today's message is Hope for the Hopeless. But before we go any further, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity you give us to bow our heads before you, to pause just for a minute and say thank you. Thank you for the truth of the words that we've sang already. Thank you for the power. Thank you for the power of knowing that we are on your mind. Not only are we on your mind, but that you have accepted us and that you love us through Jesus. And God, I pray that as we come to the passage this morning, that you would open our hearts and our minds to be ready to receive all that we're supposed to receive. Remove distractions or hindrances. Remove what's going on outside or even an hour from now. 
Help us, God, we pray, to be present and hear from you. Would you take a minute and pray for the person in front of you or behind you or beside you that they would hear from the Lord this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Before we start this morning, I want to ask you a question that not only uh, I'd like for you to think through, but I'd like for you to think through the answer throughout the rest of the week. It's a simple question, really, but it's, I think, a difficult one maybe sometimes to answer. And the question is simply this. How is your relationship with Jesus? Now, notice I didn't say, how is your church attendance? How is your involvement in Bible studies or how is your quiet times going? But a simple question. How is your relationship with Jesus? How would you answer questions like, who is Jesus to me? Or, who do you believe you are to him? Are you falling deeper in love with him? Are you grasping more deeply how deep and wide his love is for you? And the real question that leads to out of that is this. Am I becoming more like Jesus? And how do I know? I believe the more we focus, pay attention, and consider our relationship with Jesus and our faith in him, the more we will want to answer yes to the question, am I becoming like Jesus? And so this passage this morning has this backdrop of faith in Jesus, the person of Jesus. Now remember, you have to get into this story, so if you need to, as we read the passage, close your eyes, but there's three scenes in this story, kind of like a movie. Three things we're going to look at. The first one is in verses 21 through 24. It's a crying out in crisis. Verses 25 through 34, a delayed by faith, and life restored in verses 35 through 43. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 21 through 24. Mark 5, 21 through 24. When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, remember they were over and then they came back to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him. And so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and on seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her that she will get well and live. And he went off with him and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. Now, these verses were not giving a specific time frame or even an exact location. Many people think Jesus and the disciples returned back to Capernaum, where 70% of the miracles of Jesus took place. Um, this text doesn't mention anything uh, other than uh, he gets to the other side. It doesn't mention sleep. It doesn't mention that they went fishing. It doesn't mention that they ate anything. But they get to the shore, and this man runs up named Jairus to Jesus. Now, Jairus was a religious leader who had many religious responsibilities among his people. It says Jairus was a synagogue leader, a holy man, one that believed in God. 
Now, Jairus, if you think about it, belonged to a group of people who were arguing with Jesus about whether it was legal to heal on the Sabbath, about the law, and how Jesus was kind of upturning the law in regards to the Pharisees and Sadducees. Jairus was part of the leadership that really didn't accept Jesus' ministry or Jesus' work. Remember the first couple of chapters of Mark, we saw how the scribes and Pharisees were questioning and opposing Jesus. Well, Jairus was part of that team. Now, through desperation, he comes to Jesus. One author has said this, It is amazing how true needs break through prejudice. People will mock Jesus and you for belonging to him, but when a true crisis comes, and it happens in their lives, they know that Jesus is the only real source. How many of you had this? Knowing that somebody is far from God comes to you and says, I am in trouble, will you please pray for me? This is kind of the position that Jairus is in. He's got a real dilemma on his hands with his little girl about to die. And he comes to Jesus. But coming to Jesus is a real risk for Jairus. Remember how Nicodemus had to sneak and and talk to Jesus at night? It's the same thing. There would be huge consequences for Jairus for coming to Jesus. There were probably many from the synagogue over the years that Jairus had tried to console, that they had had tragedies in their life, that they had uh, had times of, of hurting, that Jairus had gone to them. And now Jairus is in the position where he needs to receive what he had been giving out. He's filled. We find that he's, this well-respected religious leader is now facing what will become a real tragedy. Now, the Bible calls our attention that Jairus has a daughter. Now, I don't have a daughter. I have two boys. And I have no idea what it would be like to raise a daughter. But I do know this, because I have two sisters, that there is a different relationship between a dad and a daughter than there is a dad and a son. Because I remember my dad saying things like, oh, you're precious, you're beautiful. He didn't say those words to me. There is a tenderness, a gentleness that a dad has for their daughter. In fact, there's almost a sense of protection and defending and honor, that there's a, there's a, there's a desire. Jairus has this with his daughter. Jairus' daughter is sick. The physicians had already made their diagnosis. They had tried everything they knew to do. The doctors had finally said, there's nothing more we can do. Jairus is at the end of his rope. He is in a hopeless situation. He's a synagogue-respected leader with a daughter who's about to die, and he's desperate You can almost sense in Jairus, if you think about it long enough, this this turmoil of anger and self-pity, this desire to scream and to holler out, but not sure who to holler out to. He may have even been thinking, God, I have served you in the temple, in the synagogue. 
I have done all this for you, and now this for me? But in his distress, he remembers that there's a young rabbi on the scene, and his name's Jesus. He remembers hearing about this young rabbi that has been teaching in the local synagogues and drawing huge crowds. He remembers having heard of this man and the power to heal. He may have even heard about this man that was uh, healed as an unclean spirit across the lake. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, Jesus has the power to heal his daughter too. So he runs to Jesus. Now, I'm not sure how Jesus, Ajaris, found, found Jesus. It says the crowds were, were uh, crazy at this point. But it also shows his determination that there was nothing that was going to stop him from finding Jesus. It shows his desperation. The passage says that Jairus comes to Jesus and fell at his feet and began to plead, My little girl is sick and close to death. Please come to my home. Please lay your hands on her that she would be made well. Now the language in the Greek in this passage, in this conversation with Jairus and Jesus, is a strong one. Jairus doesn't run up to Jesus and say, Perhaps you could come to my house. Perhaps you could heal her. Maybe if you're there, things would be different. The language here is Jairus runs to Jesus and says, I know you can do this. It's emphatic. And you can almost see him pleading as he bowed down. Synagogue ruler, well-respected, bows down at the feet of Jesus. And if you, if you pay attention long enough, you could probably see tears welling up. All his dignity is gone. One author said this, All of our dignity and pride goes out the window when we come face to face with Jesus in our time of need. Isn't that true? We realize that our put-together poise and pride melts into humility and helplessness in the face of Jesus. There's no way for this man to be dignified anymore. And let me just make a point. That's exactly where Jesus wants us. Jesus does not want us dignified and proud and poised before him. He wants us broken so he can heal us. Psalm 51, 17, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. But what does it say in the New Testament? He opposes the proud. Jairus is broken. Jairus falls at Jesus' feet, and it is this man's faith, his belief, that compelled Jesus to follow. Verse 24, and he, Jesus, went off with him. Now, can you imagine? Get the picture. Jairus and Jesus are headed to home. Do you think Jairus has just a little bit of spring in his step? Do you think he's probably trotting, jogging? He's got to be excited. Got to be filled with hope. A sense of that determination of going to Jesus. Then in the midst of this dramatic scene, Jesus is stopped. Jairus' hope and help is interrupted as they're making their way. 
delayed by faith is the second point. Verse 24 said, And he went off with him, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. Verse 25, A woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him, Jesus, and touched his cloak. For she thought, If I touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately the flow of blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around to the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this, but the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Jesus, in the middle of this crowd, bumped around on all sides, stops and says, Who touched me? Now, isn't that a crazy question? It's like going to a concert and saying, Hey, who touched me? Well, everybody has touched you. The disciples say, Jesus, you see this huge crowd, and you say, who touched me? Now, why did Jesus do this? Why even stop? Why even make a point about it? Just keep going, right? But Jesus stopped and said, who touched me? Sensing that power had proceeded from him. Was he going to make a point to this woman? Was he going to humiliate her? Jesus is saying this touch is different. This is a touch of faith that has released power. Someone has paraphrased it this way. Someone has made a demand upon my ability. It's an interesting phrase in verse 27 that she had heard about Jesus. How did she hear about Jesus? Could it have been that somebody told her? And that's why she's there. Now she's before Jesus, and she is healed. With fear and trembling, the woman came forward, and she fell down before him and told Jesus what she had done. In fact, it says it told her her whole story. Can you imagine that? So there was some time that was going on here. Jesus stopped and listened to this lady. Now notice, instead of humiliating her, Jesus did two things. One, he affirmed her and affirmed that she was healed. What you've experienced, yes, it is true, because power left my body to heal you because of your faith. Now, I want to make a little <clears throat> note here that this is the only time in Scripture where Jesus addresses someone as daughter. It's the only time. And he turns to her and says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. One commentator said this, Jesus, was, Jesus wasn't using the power of God, Jesus is the power of God. And when the lady touched him, the power of God, the power of Jesus, proceeded from him. This part of the story is even more fascinating when you get into the life of this lady. Some scholars think that she was a Jewish lady. Now, in the Jewish Levitical law, if she had any kind of um, affection or infection 
like this, particularly in the area of bleeding, that she would have been unclean, that there would have been no reason that she would have been in a crowd, that she would have been outside. She would have had to even say, I'm unclean. Her husband couldn't touch her. Nobody else could touch her. She was unclean. Levitical law said you can't be around anybody. And yet, she was in the crowd. And if she was a Gentile, as some scholars think, she would have been an outcast to start with. So, in other words, she should not have been there by all outside standards. Yet she was. Now, what's really empty about this lady's life is for 12 years she had suffered with this issue. And for 12 years, she had gone to all these different people, all these different physicians, spent all this kind of money to get well, and nothing. There have been times in your life and mine where we have tried everything, that we've done everything we know to do, and we're still left in the same spot. And it can be so frustrating. And hard, defeating. Notice the detail that Mark leaves here. How long has she been in this situation? Twelve years. How old was Jairus' daughter? Twelve years old. Every year that this little girl had lived, this lady had suffered. Now, in Jesus' time, medical knowledge was limited. Oftentimes, the Pharisees went around claiming to be physicians. Church leaders would go around to people and be uh, church physicians. They would offer these suggestions. Sometimes they would mix in superstitious methods. Just as a side note, that one method called for seven pits to be dug with vine branches not yet four years old, burned in them, and then the women would sit down in each of them and say out loud, Be free from thy sickness. In other words, this lady has really tried everything. And it's amazing what people will do when their pain is so deep and their desire is so real for relief. This lady was pitiful, in bad shape, an outcast, unclean and desperate, yet she believed in Jesus. Now, just back up for a second. It is great for this woman. But can you think, just for a second, what Jairus is thinking? How many of you just love waiting? Especially when you're in a hurry? parents you know what it's like we've got to get in the car got to get in the car i don't know where my shoes are says the kid or we've got dinner reservations we got to get there we got to get there hurry hurry i don't know what shoes to wear there is something with inside of me that just boils if i have to wait for no reason just a little confession this morning now you can almost hear Jairus' thoughts. Jesus, what are you doing? We've got to be somewhere. You said you would go. 
this isn't fair. This woman's been sick for 12 years. My daughter is about to die. Come on. Besides, she's unclean. She's not even supposed to be here. Jairus, thinking, I have swallowed my pride. I have turned my back on the religious leaders. I have come and bowed down before you. You've got you've to come on. This lady was out of Jairus's order in so many ways. He wants Jesus to hurry up. Anybody else? Ever wanted Jesus to hurry up? <laughs> Thanks, Nate Dog. <laughs> I love this side over here. It's awesome. <laughs> Keep talking to me, Nathan. At least I know one's paying attention. All right, so this daughter can die at any moment. And yet this woman sneaks up behind Jesus and touches the hem of his garment. And Jesus stops to minister her. She's healed, and she tells him his whole story. Now, can you just imagine Jairus tapping his watch if he, if he had one? Like, really? I don't know about you, but I continually have to learn how to appreciate and thank God for the interruptions and delays in my life. Because interruptions are going to happen. If you're a parent, if you're an employer, if you're a husband, if you're a wife, interruptions in life are going to happen. But interruptions are not surprises to God. In fact, they may be the work of God. What may be an interruption and delay for us is never an interruption or delay for God. I'm starting to understand in my life that interruptions frustrate me because I'm usually in a hurry to get my own agenda done. I want Jesus to hurry up and catch up with me. There's a Japanese theologian Kosuke Koyama, who said this, Love has its speed. It's a spiritual speed. It is a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed. It goes in, on in the depth of our life, whether we notice it or not, at three miles an hour. It is the speed we walk, and therefore the speed the love of God walks. It had me stop and ask myself, how fast... Am I going? The speed of self, technology, and our culture, or Jesus' speed of love? Jesus was walking at his speed. A speed of love that allowed this lady to touch his garment. He wasn't in a hurry. He wasn't too fast. Many times... We have to slow down to catch up with Jesus. Can you imagine if Jesus was too busy? From Jairus' perspective, it appears Jesus was delayed by this woman's faith, but Jesus wasn't delayed at all. And if you step back and reflect just for a minute, 
the interruptions that I encounter, that we encounter, really help us focus on what I really believe about God. Interruptions are not sent to harm us, but to help us. Because Jesus is going to use this interruption in his life to take his faith to a whole new level. It looks like Jesus was taking up precious time with this social outcast woman when it seemed that he should have been hurrying along with Jairus. But this miracle of the woman demonstrates the fact that Jesus will slow down long enough for the outcast and the wealthy. Verse 29, Jesus gives us the miracle. Immediately the flow of blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. The woman was restored, verse 34, and he said to her, daughter, your faith is healed. Go in peace, freed from your suffering. Imagine the relief of this woman. After 12 long years of trying everything, Jesus healed her. And what Jairus at first was critical of a delay now becomes his hope because that is what he wants for his daughter. And it's being made visible right in front of him. Yes, Jesus can do this. Now, can you imagine Jairus' spirits as they have been lifted up and they get back ready to go? And then verse 35. While he, Jesus, was still speaking, probably to the lady, they came from the house of the synagogue official, saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John and the brother of James They came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing and entering in. He said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. They began to laugh at him. But pulling him out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions, and they entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. And immediately they were completely astounded, and they gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said that something should be given her to eat. Now get into this scene. As Jesus is talking with the woman, synagogue officials come and tell Jairus, don't don't bother him. I'm sorry. Your daughter has died. So devastating. Jesus turns to Jairus and says, Do not be afraid. Only believe. Those are hard words to hear. Really hard words for Jairus to hear at this moment. Jesus was saying, translated in the Greek, Don't panic. Don't panic. He was telling this man to act just as he acted originally, in faith. Continue in faith. 
But that's hard for us to do sometimes, isn't it? Just keep pressing on in faith, Jesus says. Stay the course. Stay focused on Jesus. Even if it looks hopeless, stay focused on Jesus. For Jesus, death was no greater a challenge than the sickness. Jesus knows that if he can restore health, he can restore life. Jesus says two very important things. Do not be afraid. Jesus says to Jairus, I know what you're hearing. I know what you're feeling. I know that there seems like there's fear and doubt and you're overwhelmed. But do not be afraid. Man, do we need those words from Jesus. We have so much fear hitting us from so many different places with health and family, our finances, our friends, our culture. All around us, there's this potential for fear. And Jesus says to us this morning, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. The second thing Jesus says is, only believe. In the Greek, this is a command, not a suggestion. Only believe. In essence, Jesus is saying to Jairus and to all of us, will you still trust me? Now Jairus has a choice to make, and so do we. Believe and respond to the words, information, circumstances around him, or believe and respond to the words spoken to him by Jesus. In life, really aren't those the only two choices we have? Jesus is asking, do you trust me enough to keep on walking the speed of love with me? Now let me be clear about something. When Jesus says to Jairus, do not be afraid, he is not in any way denying the circumstance. He is not saying to Jairus, this isn't a big deal. Why are you so worried? Jesus affirms that, yes, this is hard. It's not what you wanted. I understand that. I believe all those things are true around you. They are real. Your daughter has died. But he did indicate by his words and actions that it wasn't the ultimate reality. One author said this, Jarius needs to understand that Jesus does not do funerals. I like that. <laughs> Jesus knew that death does not have the last word that God does. Jesus never comes to the end of the rope, of his rope. They came to the house, verse 38 says, and he saw a commotion and people loudly weeping, and that day they would hire people to come weep for you and with you. So he had all these people, a big commotion, all these people wailing and weeping outside. Jesus says, don't worry about it. She's not dead. She's asleep. And they start laughing at him. And he goes into the room. Talitha Kun, little girl, I say to you, arise. And she did. Can you imagine the house? Mourning into praise, doubt into belief, defeat into victory. 
This happened for the woman, happened for Jarius and this little girl, and it can happen for you. Clement of Alexandria said a long time ago, he said this, Jesus changes the sunsets of life into a sunrise because he is the hope to the hopeless. In dealing with all this, as you'll notice, there's a, a, a theme. One author says this, God doesn't deal in bulk, but in the one-on-one. In other words, you can hang around Jesus all you want. You can come to church all you want, go to Bible studies all you want, all the different ministries. You can bump up against Jesus on Sunday morning. You can bump up against him in, in serving. But it's only when you step out in faith for yourself and touch him is that new life experience. So I want to leave you with three questions this morning. What is it that you believe? about Jesus. Jairus sought after him. Why? Because he believed in him. This woman believed Jesus could heal her if she could just touch the hem of his garment. Where are you in this story this morning? Are you kind of in the crowd going, maybe, maybe, I'll just keep bumping up against him. The question this morning is, do I really believe Jesus? Is my faith in Jesus really true? Second question, are you willing to reach out to Jesus in faith? Faith unleashes the power of Jesus. With no faith, the power resides with you. And that's no power at all. Faith in Jesus unleashes the power of Jesus. When you go to a museum or an art exhibit, parents notice this one sign that kids ignore. And it usually says, what? Please do not touch. Well, there was a famous Japanese sculptor that once puzzled the curators of an American art museum where his works were shown. And at the base of each of his statues, the sculptor had placed a polite little sign that read, Please touch he wanted everyone that saw his sculptures all his artwork to not experience it from a distance but to touch it and that's the same thing Jesus wants to reach out and touch him there are some here this morning that I know have tried to go like this lady to all these other different places find wholeness and healing and meaning and purpose and you end up empty because only Jesus only Jesus can bring the hope that we desire the third question is this are the circumstances and are people in your life louder than the voice of Jesus saying do not be afraid only believe one author said this it doesn't matter what the crowd says or doesn't say it only matters how we respond to what Jesus says Another author said this, Faith is not the belief that God will do what you want. Faith is the belief that God will do what is right. I asked you at the very beginning of this service, how's your relationship with Jesus? Do you want to see him move and work in your life? See a change? It comes down to two words. 
only believe. Let me pray for us. God, these two scenes from these verses God there's so much that you want to say to us that you want to do in us God we pray right now that you would forgive us of our unbelief of our doubt of our lack of faith of our lack of trust I pray that you would forgive us of hearing and running to other voices God, I pray right now, in this moment, that you would grant us faith to believe. I know that there are some here or watching that have struggles that are deep inside of them, and they need to hear from you this morning in a real way. Don't panic. Don't be afraid. Only believe. God, I pray this morning for a great sense of peace and healing and understanding that you love us. And we'll trust you with that in Jesus' name. Amen.